if I were to ask you today about current events of this past week, what would you say? Obvious answers would be the tsunami. Uh, that one definitely, as the week progressed, became uh, most prominent in the news. You might say Libya, Gaddafi, uh, gas prices. If you've been to the pump at all recently, you would say gas prices. That's, that's big news. Or iPad 2. That ranks up there pretty high with me. But what really dominated the news were updates on the Charlie Sheen circus, right? So much so that these other issues just seem insignificant. The amount of news given to him and his, his goddesses would indicate that this story is really most important. I mean, the way it's presented in the news is that, hey, this is really what you want to know. This is what you want to hear about. So we're going to play nonstop Charlie Sheen updates um, until the story ends one day. In all of the reporting I've seen about Charlie, one thing stands out to me the most, and that is his attitude. I mean, really, isn't that the thing that appalls us the most? It's his, his attitude about his addictions and his ability to overcome them without help. Uh, and we have had a video into his life uh, as he has, even once the uh, film crews go off, he uh, has been filming himself, creating his own TV show. And so we really get uh, the idea about his attitude. Um, and are you hearing this as well? I mean, as you look at his life, you just shake your head and think, wow. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he really feels that way. While most addicts show humility, vulnerability, and the need for help, Charlie declared that he was in charge, that he could control his temptations and, and whether or not he gave in to them or not. And he even ridiculed AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, the greatest tool yet to help those with addictions. With his tiger blood and all he didn't need anyone's help, and he is still declaring that. He can handle this himself. This is the picture of a man surrounded by the devils of temptation, not taking the ropes of help. And I love that little film because at the very end, there is that, that provision, there is that deliverance of that, that rope and a way out. But this is not something that, that he is seeing, or at least he is, seems like, believing that he is his own rope. This is a man who doesn't seem to have an awareness of himself, of temptations, and of the help available to him. As we consider the topic of temptation today, Charlie Sheen is obviously not our model for how to deal uh, with temptation. Before singling uh, Sheen out, though, I think we should admit that the, the reason that we watch his undoing with great interest is that we really see something of ourselves in that, don't we? It's kind of like driving down the highway and you see a wreck and you start to look over there and you begin to think, I, I wonder what it would be like if, if that happened to me. And I wonder what's really going on over there. And I just tend to think that we, we are interested in his situation because we act that way many times as well. It's not on TV. It's not quite as blatant. But yet we see ourselves in that. But we get a very different picture today in the Gospel text of how Jesus... Uh, it is a man in a dangerous wilderness. He is fully vulnerable. He is being pursued by the devil. He is struggling with his temptations. And we don't like to admit that, by the way, do we? I mean, Jesus struggling with temptations? Yet this is what is taking place there. But he is making it through all of them by maintaining an awareness of his identity, of who he truly was. And his awareness of the rope of help 
that is there for him to help him to be delivered from all of this. What we can learn about him uh, and his temptation is that it is vital that we too have an awareness of who we are, of our true selves, and of the rope that is there for us as well. So first, we're to have an awareness of what temptation is. We're all too familiar with them, at least as they come to us in any forms and fashions. I mean, I don't have to ask for you to think about what a temptation is, right? You, you probably had one as you walked by the southern-made box that was out there. I gave in. I just quit trying to resist those. Um, it looked like there were a few more of them out there today. So many, must, maybe many of you just went straight for the coffee and didn't have one. But we tend to know about them. And, and what we tend to know about them is that they are never unattractive. They are specifically custom-designed for us, aren't they? It's like you go to the grocery store and you, you use your little card and they swipe it. And the reason they're doing that is so that they can custom design their marketing for you. I mean, if you like French bread or you like bluebell ice cream or whatever it is that you like, they start picking up on that pretty quickly. And so they send you coupons or they send you stuff in the mail. They want you to buy the stuff that you really like. They're not going to market you something that you don't like. It all goes toward your weaknesses to the things that you really desire, to fit your taste, your passions, and your desires perfectly. But as we look a little deeper, what we find is that they are lures to draw us away from who we really are, our true selves. We can certainly see this in the Garden of Eden, uh, the account that we heard today that, that Evelyn read for us. Adam and Eve are there in the beautiful garden that God has made. And they are God's special creations. God made them in his very image, the author of Genesis tells us. They are made right there, fashioned in his very image. And God puts them there to live and to exist, to, to dwell in intimacy and communion with him. And of course, God says you have free will to do anything that you want in this garden. But there is but one thing you must not do. And that is to eat the fruit of this tree. And of course, it wasn't long before they did this and they indulged in the fruit. Everything, though, is as it should be until this temptation comes along with a promise of a better self, a better existence in life. If you will just eat this fruit, it will be better. Your life will be better. All those things that God said yeah, they're really not true. God wasn't completely serious about this. If you'll just eat it, then you will become like God. You'll have a better life, and the you that you are now will be much better. They had forgotten who they really were. The glitter of something new and better is too strong for these two creatures who also enjoyed free will from God. And so they chose, and they experienced a false version of themselves. There's some great artwork. I didn't include it today. But there is some great artwork of, of them being banished from the garden, from them having to flee from, from this beautiful place that God had created them. And so you see the true selves of who they are in the garden, and then you see the false selves of who they are outside, and, and how, uh, uh, the, the true identity had been warped and changed in so many different ways. It is what Thomas Merton refers to as the false self. Well, the Gospel text today from Matthew gives us a glimpse of how Jesus was presented with the temptation. I mean, we've already heard what happened with Adam and Eve. We don't need too many reminders 
about that. We realize we are children of Adam and Eve and we make the same stupid mistakes that they did. But Jesus, there's something very different here. The setting is far different. As Jesus is in an ugly, arid desert that the fertile garden, uh, than the fertile garden of Adam and Eve. It's completely different. And the circumstances are different as well. But the temptation is the same. And temptation is always the same, isn't it, at its very core? It is a lure presented to Jesus by the devil to take a bite of a different life, to step into one very different than he was currently living. And, of course, out there in the desert, life wasn't so great. And we see that Jesus was struggling. The flash of doing things differently and becoming something greater was a lure dangling in front of a famished, a fatigued, and a very vulnerable Jesus. And this painting really says it all. Probably looking at that, it doesn't register in your mind that this is Jesus. We don't like to look at that picture. We don't like to think of Jesus that way. We like the one that was up there earlier, of Jesus smiling, or of a, a friendly Jesus carrying a lamb around with him, or, or one of those very comforting pictures of Jesus. Yet here he is. Here is Jesus and his vulnerability out in the desert, hungry. And we realize that even though the uh, baptismal waters of the Jordan and the affirmations of God voice, God's voice there, that this is my son with whom I am well pleased, all of this is still ringing in the ears of Jesus. Yet he is challenged with taking some shortcuts. He could use his powers to overcome his physical hunger and turn the craggy rocks that he is stumbling over into, into loaves of warm bread. He could bypass all of this time in the desert and the challenge of a pending crown of thorns and a, a harrowing crucifixion by taking power now. And that is the temptation the devil is giving him. You take the power now, you don't have to worry about anything else. Gaining the kingdoms and the cities that he could see in his vision of temptation. He could even test God's version of his identity by jumping off of the tallest building to see if God would catch him. The lure here was Jesus. If you are the Son of God, if you are, I mean, I know that you think you are, and I know that others, the prophets and others have said that you are, but Jesus, if you are the Son of God, see that doubt that is planted there? There is a challenge to his very identity. And it must have been hurtful, but it also must have been very powerful. All of this was a direct challenge to his identity. Unlike Adam and Eve, though, Jesus did not bite the lure. Though he must have struggled more than any human being ever could have. And if you think about the significance of that, of, of what it was like for Jesus to be tempted. And we know what it's like for us to be tempted. But here is God in flesh, the incarnate deity, out in the desert. And the kinds of temptations and the power that was, was there is more than we could ever began to imagine. And yet he continued to stay true to his true self in God. He was anchored in an awareness of who he truly was. Author James Finley writes about this false self that, that Merton refers to in his book. And, and the book is titled Merton's Palace of Nowhere. And he is quoting Merton in regard to the false self. And he says, The deepest dimension of my identity as a human person is that I share in God's own life, both now and in eternity, in a relationship of untold intimacy. On the other hand, 
my own daily experience impresses upon me the painful truth that my heart has listened to the serpent instead of listening to God. There is something in me that puts on fig leaves of concealment, kills my brother, builds towers of confusion, and brings cosmic chaos upon the earth. There is something in me that loves darkness rather than light, that rejects God and thereby rejects my own deepest reality as a human person made in the image and the likeness of God. There is this true self as God has made us to be, and yet there is this false self. And we tend to go back and forth, so often forgetting who we really are. And so we need to be aware of what temptation really is for us. It is a lure to get us to dismiss who God has really made us to be in place of the false self. It comes to us as an attack on who we are as children of God, presented as a a voice of doubts in our head and maybe voices from the people around us saying, if you are a child of God, maybe you've heard that voice. I've heard it before. As you're moving along doing God's work and involved in, in being who God has called you to be and you hear that voice at times, are you really the son of are you really a child of God? Now wait, I know I'm not the son of God. Let me clear that up. If I know you think I am, but you know. If you are a child of God, are you sure you are? I know you think that you heard that from God or that you heard that from his word, but are you really God's child? Because you're not acting like it. You don't look like it. You're not really this child of God. It is the challenge of our true identity in Christ. And and as we look at whatever temptation comes along our way, we see this as the strategy for each and every one. I mean, I think you could even pull this out of a temptation to eat bluebell ice cream. Wait, Wait a minute. No, actually, bluebell could be the true part of who we are. I'm not sure about that. But in every temptation, there is this pull away from who we truly are to be something very different. The more we buy into our false persona and the, the, the more we forget who we really are. I mean, with each bite that we take. What a tragedy. The world is full of false selves. And you and I so many times are one among them. It happens when we bite into the idea that things will be better if we just do them our way rather than God's, much like Adam and Eve. It happens when we think that God really wasn't serious about what he said. You know, Those are not ten commandments. Those are really just ten suggestions for for daily living. I mean, he was just bluffing when he said this or that would be harmful to us. I mean, eating from that tree, don't take that too seriously. It's not really what God meant. We chomp hard into the idea that our, our freedom of choice means that we can truly have control of our lives. That our blood is that of a tiger, not of human flesh. All of this biting cuts into our sense of who we are and we, and we can so easily lose our way. Moving from garden to wilderness. From freedom to fig leaves. What we need so desperately is to be grounded in the awareness of, of what is really going on with the temptations around us. In a recent movie, uh, The King's Speech, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but it's, I highly recommend it to you. It's an incredible movie. But there is a scene where, where George, or actually he's Albert before. Aren't you glad he got to change his name to George? Uh, but as he became King George VI, 
He's just become king because his brother uh, has uh, abdicated the throne uh, as king to George. Uh, Edward, is, or, yeah, Edward is wanting to, to get married to uh, a woman and she's been divorced uh, a couple of times and, and at that time in history they could not uh, continue to be king if they uh, married someone who had been divorced, much less outside of royalty. And so uh, there is this abdication that takes place. But the whole movie has been about George's debilitating stammer, this stuttering and his inability to even communicate with others around him. And it is truly debilitating. And so as uh, we continue to watch the movie, you see his embarrassment. He's embarrassing himself, but he's embarrassing his family and his nation. And uh, we see that uh, he's not even able to give a speech to his country. As he's getting close to giving what would be the most important speech of his life and in the, the era of, of his nation, as Germany is invading England, you see him at his desk and he is weeping like a child saying, I am not the king. I can't be the king. And what you see there in the midst of this very depressing scene is that his wife is standing right there beside him. And she is encouraging him and giving him the confidence that helped him get through what would be very difficult days ahead. And she reminds him of who he is. No, you are the king. And you can do this. He needed to remember who he really was. Hearing a voice louder than the one trying to detract him from his real identity. I wonder today, are you aware of who you are? I mean, do you really know who you are in your, your true self, who God has made you to be? Are you giving in to the temptations around you as a result of your wanting to be someone else or thinking that you have to be someone else or look a certain way or possess something in order to be happy? As we've heard in the rest of this text today, Jesus was able to resist those kinds of temptations and those kinds of voices by allowing the Spirit of God to be present and to speak into his life. The Spirit of God who was just as much with him in the desert as he was in the baptismal waters of the Jordan River. Remember that? Jesus was just baptized before he went out into the desert. And he resisted through his awareness of God's Word. You'll note throughout this whole text these it is written. No, Satan, it is written. You're misquoting the text of God. This is what God really said. This is one great source of his strength during the assaults from the devil. He knew who he was from God's own word, from a lifetime of immersing himself in it and it in him. When you look back at the earliest accounts of Jesus, what is he doing? He's getting in trouble because he is spending too much time in Sunday school or Saturday school. I mean, that's where he is. He's studying and hearing God's word. We are able to stay true to our true selves made by God and to resist temptations to shortcut, shortcut God's route for us by doing just what Jesus did here. It comes from knowing that we are not alone. God's Spirit is just as much with you now in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through than He was with you on the day that you were baptized. On the day that you recognized your need to begin following Jesus in the way that He was leading you. And while with you, he brings to mind the very words of God that you need to remember about who you are and who God is. The Spirit is doing just the opposite of the devil, saying over and over, uh, the, uh, if you are, 
And what the Spirit is saying to you is, since you are a child of God, you can know this and this about yourself. This help comes from knowing which voice to listen to and being familiar enough with the Spirit in our lives that we are constantly in tune with it. By the way, you need to have some of the Word of God in you if the Spirit is going to bring it to memory. You know, the Spirit can only work with so much in your life. Knowing this ought to lead us into deeper into God's Word. Developing disciplines of reading it, of hearing it, and getting committed to a Bible study class. This Lenten season gives us a great wealth of Scripture uh, to get us into and, and to remind us about who we truly are in God. Well, as we continue to see the news of Charlie Sheen and as we uh, check our tweets, you do check your tweets, right? Some of you do. And you see what Charlie Sheen is up to next on his Twitter page. We cringe to think of what is going to happen with this story. I mean, we tend to think this guy is just spiraling quickly into destruction of himself. And that is a picture we really don't want to see and hopefully won't happen. The picture for Jesus, though, at the end of his temptations is something very different, and it turns out with a very beautiful picture in the end. If you're not careful, you'll miss it here. It says, Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. What a beautiful picture. Matthew makes sure that, that we not miss the most important part of how this story ends and of how these 40 days end. God provided his ministering angels to him to serve him and to care for him. And as, ch as children of God, it is no different with us. God has a beautiful ending to the challenge of temptations that are in our lives if we will but submit to him. As we go through our struggles with temptation in days ahead, May we remember not only the presence of God in the midst of them, but the picture of angels ministering as we get through them. Let us give thanks to God. Our God and Father, we thank you for how you minister to us. We thank you for the example here in Scripture of how you took care of Jesus. 